Well, hello there, woman beings. We are so excited to be here with you today. We have the amazing guest, Miss Ashley, who happens to be a licensed marriage and family therapist. So we're excited to talk all things with her today. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast community, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds without expectation or judgment. We will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. I'm so excited to talk about this topic today. Mental health is a big deal in the current social, political climate. Uh, 2020 has not been a smooth one. Um, so, but I'd love to start out with, um, what made you get into therapy? Like what made you choose that path? You know, that's been a journey. I'm going to be honest. Um, I like to surmise it with, it shows me, Mm -hmm. right. And I'll get into a little bit of that history, but, um, from a very young age, I talked about being a child psychologist. Don't know where that came from. Don't know why I can't. I mean, I'm talking like five or six years old. Like, wow. I want to grow up to be a child psychologist. <laughs> I don't even want know to do any that. child psychologist. Exactly. Yeah. But there was something, a um, little bit of backstory. I am an existential therapist. That's kind of, I'm an existential person, to be very honest. The meaning of life, the purpose of life, things like that, very important to me. So I like to joke, probably a little self-deprecating, but I was that weird kid on the playground where everybody else was like swinging and having fun. And I'm over here trying to talk to the adults like, what happens to us after we die? Like, where do we go? Right. Heavy, heavy stuff. So it didn't surprise anybody that I grew up to become a therapist, especially Mm -hmm. when I was talking about being a child psychologist. Um, But yeah, it kind of just naturally chose me. Um, I didn't pursue it right after school. I actually didn't pursue college at all right after high school. Took some time off for myself, made some other very big life choices and went a completely different direction. Decided at 25 that it was time to come back to school and college because I knew that's where my heart was. Went to the Aspire program at Simpson here in town. Uh, very grateful for the educational experience I got there. Had no desire to do anything further than that, but also got to thinking, what am I going to do with a degree in psychology? Just kind of opened my mind to, um, you know, graduate school and okay, maybe I'll pursue this. Again, the universe kind of pulled me in directions and boom, ended up at University of San Francisco with a master's degree in counseling psychology and pretty much your course of action from there is becoming a therapist. So it, that's the short version, but really I, I liken it to the universe. Like I think I got pulled in that direction way more than I chose it intentionally. Wow. I love that so much. I mean, it, it feels like at some level there always is kind of a path that mm-hmm. we get privileged to walk on for each of us. And um, so grateful for people like you, especially right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can attest for myself, therapy has actually changed my life. And I'm so, so grateful to have worked with the individual I've been with for, gosh, three years now. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder, like, so we're in a pandemic right now. Mm -hmm. Um, How has that affected the way that people are approaching mental health? Because it feels like that kind of revolves around a lot of conversation right now. And then follow up to that, like, what are some things that people should be looking out for in order, in order to take care of themselves right now mm-hmm. in this current climate? Well, I'm going to start with the first part of the question for sure. You know, this year, um, I make a lot of bad jokes. Hope you ladies have the patience for me. <laughs> um, I got a, a good sense of humor. 
But, you know, I like to joke a lot that I have job security. You know, as humans, we have a difficult, difficult thing that we're moving through in the human condition. And 2020 is not really doing us any favors. Mm-hmm. Uh, this pandemic, mental health wise, you guys are exactly right. It's not doing it's it's extremely challenging, to say the least. Um, so I saw a meme on social media not too long ago, um, actually, probably in April, but I'm not sure if it's been a, a few months, a couple months, <laughs> yeah, a whole year. Time I'm not really sure what's now. happening. Right. <laughs> Um, But I saw a meme on social media that said, welcome to 2020. If you didn't have an anxiety disorder before, one has now been assigned to you. (laughs) Because none of us know what we're doing. None of us know how to figure it out. So I would say for sure mental health is even more of a struggle amidst this pandemic than it has been in the past. Um, Even those of us, you know, I'm a professional. I have the fancy letters after my name. Um, I talk about anxiety all day long. And I'm challenged this year to practice what I preach when it comes to coping strategies because it's hard. Um, so coming back around to, you know, what are we doing about it? How is it affecting people? What does it look like? I'm seeing a lot more people reaching out for therapy, um, which I think is incredibly valuable. We'll kind of talk about the limitations of that here in a little bit, though, because it's hard. Um, but I am seeing a lot more people that are open to communicating about how hard this is on their mental health. In the past, there's a lot of stigma around therapy. There's a lot of stigma around counseling and the benefit It's hard to call it a benefit, but I feel like this year has opened people up to like, okay, maybe we're not as tough as we thought we were mentally and emotionally. Maybe we could use that support. Um, But I I mean, to get into the coping strategies of how to survive this right now, it's it's all about Mm -hmm. Mm self-care. Self-care, I feel like is thrown around a lot Mm -hmm. and it swings from the pendulum of like treat yourself Mm -hmm. and go by pointless merchandise Mm -hmm. to (laughs) to like you know valid you know prayer exercise meditation Mm -hmm. you know things like that so what do you mean when you say mental care i love i love that question yeah i hear you i love that question um because i think i have a little bit of a unique perspective on it um self-care I think on the obvious level is the pleasurable activities, right? It's the little indulgences here and there. It's, you know, for me, bubble baths, pedicures, like just, you know, little Mm -hmm. tiny moments of being able to recharge my batteries. However, that's not the only self-care. Self-care is also boundaries. It's telling people no when you need to say no, right? Not biting off more than you can chew as a person, which I think is probably one of the harder things Mm -hmm. this year is Mm -hmm. knowing what your limitations are like okay i i just i don't have the mental energy or the emotional energy to be with this type of person right now or to obligate myself to things even though last year i would have done it in a heartbeat not my year this year right not going to be able to pursue those activities or do those things Um, so sometimes self-care is saying no sometimes it's upholding boundaries my colleagues don't always love this idea of mine i'm going to be honest but sometimes self-care is being able to from my perspective, check something off the list, right? Yes, that speaks to me on a personal level. <laughs> I love that. We, well, we're reluctant to say that, right? We yeah. want self-care to be all the positive stuff. But I know for me, if I've got something on my mind that I just keep thinking about, like I got to fold that laundry, I got to do that task that I'm avoiding that I don't want to get done, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, I don't at the outset think of that as self-care. Mm-hmm. But the minute that's checked off the list, uh-huh. I'm like, oh. Yes. I yeah. feel so much better. Yeah. Better, right? yeah. So some, sometimes that's the challenge of self-care is, and that's why I love that question, because sometimes it's about just doing whatever you have to do to help yourself feel a little bit of relief at the end of the day, even if it's not what you want to do. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like the, the 
when you have like so many tasks that are looming over you mm-hmm. like that has a mental toll on you that you don't yeah. even realize yeah. I think like yeah. when you're like okay well I need to do this and do this but like if you're able to actually like cross those things off you are like sort of mentally unloading things yeah. um mm-hmm. and I think too like you were talking about um how with the pandemic so many people have sort of realized oh I'm not as together as I thought I was and like I think I think some of this is a very sort of Christian concept that like when you go through trials that reveals actually how you're doing right like mm-hmm. that reveals um how well you actually are doing because you don't have all of the distractions and all of these great things that are um, filling up your life and not really making you self-evaluate mm-hmm. and not making you actually sit down with your thoughts, actually sit down with yourself and be like, okay, well, how am I actually doing? Mm-hmm. So something like this pandemic, especially with people having to quarantine, not being able to do as many things as you maybe used to do, mm-hmm. you have to sit with yourself and be like, okay, am I, do I even like myself? Am I happy with myself? Um, do I have... Um, like my house in order because I've kind of just been carrying my house around and doing things, mm-hmm. but not actually um, cleaning it up, you know? Yeah. Well, even last night, I've had an interesting week. <laughs> <laughs> and um, last night I had something scheduled that I canceled. And then I went instead and like went to the store and I bought some stuff that I, was much needed. Even Like honestly, the only thing I wanted to do last night was lay down and like shut out the world. But I forced myself to get up and get the stuff that I needed. I came home. I, like, turned on some new music. I just found a new artist that I love and um, and put away laundry and, like, washed my face and, like, cleaned up my room a little bit. And I felt so good after that. Mm-hmm. Even, like, but at the initial, if I would have done what I wanted to do... Mm-hmm. I would have just laid around on the couch and, like, not talked yeah. to anybody. Mm-hmm. And but just stayed in that, like, mm-hmm. self-pity like the cocoon sort of, like, of just sadness. Yeah. Yeah. It's been it does, right? It I does. mean, again, there is a self-care element to that. You know, we I don't always believe we should be challenging ourselves. Totally. But I think to a degree, and again, my job security is yeah. humans need a little bit of push and challenge. And I think some of that is self-care oriented. Like, yeah. it's, it's appropriate. We need it, right? And that mm-hmm. is my job security, too, is we're not, I mean, like, kind of going to what you were saying, I mean, we're not great at naturally looking at ourself, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes we need that professional guidance and support and kind of love wrapped around us to look at our households and see what we got going on on the inside mm-hmm. because we were just not as inclined to challenge ourselves. But when we do, it's worth it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and there are some times where I'm having a bad day and mm-hmm. I get home and I have a glass of wine mm-hmm. and I do nothing and I feel great at the end of it. And there are some times when I do that and I feel like worse, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like you have to read yourself a little bit. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But I just found it like I was like, I just did a bunch of chores and I feel so good. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of surprising to me. But yeah, uh, I also wonder moving away from self-care. Well, I mean, this is still self-care, but there's actually a very heavy climate right now when it comes to mental health and that mm-hmm. with the emergence of this pandemic and all of the things that are happening, the suicide rate has gone mm-hmm. up a lot like at alarming rates and so I was just curious like why why is that what do you see um the pandemic influencing that and Mm -hmm. and like what can we do yeah that's a it's a heavy one right that's a heavy one and it's a very loaded one I think with that like my joke about the anxiety meme with anxiety you know it's on the same 
spectrum for me, so to speak. It's like the opposite end of the spectrum is depression. And suicidality and thinking about that is an inherent part of a person becoming depressed. Um, in my opinion, almost all humans at different points in their life have dark thoughts. Um, doesn't mean they're suicidal, doesn't mean they're going to act on it, but you know, thinking about our own death, thinking about what it would be like to not exist anymore or not have to go through the suffering that, again, is just inherent to the human condition, is a very real part of depression. I think right now, coping, again, has become so stretched and so limited that people are struggling more with depression than they have in the past, and it's a challenge to find a coping strategy that works. I also think we're social creatures. Like, we need each other. Um, and probably, you know, in the last couple of generations, we've really lost touch with our connections with others. I think it's a very interesting time because we have a lot of technology and resources that could help us come together more, even amidst social isolation and self-isolation and self-quarantine. Um, but we're not really using them. We're struggling. It's really hard right now to think creatively, mm -hmm. you know. Um, one of the things I talk about in therapy a lot is, you know, logic versus emotion. If you think about a toddler in a tantrum, which I've got toddlers, so I know all about toddlers and tantrums, mm -hmm. but can you rationalize with a toddler in the middle of a tantrum? Mm. Right? Can you sit and talk to them and have a logical conversation? No, this is why you can't have that thing that you want. No, right? You got to yeah. wait for them to de-escalate and come out of it. Yeah. Then you can usually, you know, have a kid-appropriate conversation and talk a toddler through a situation. Mm -hmm. Us adults in the middle of emotion, whether that be anxiety or depression, we are essentially toddlers and tantrums, mm. right? So we are basically overwhelmed with emotion, the same as our as kiddos can be, and we don't know what to do with it, right? So when we're highly anxious or highly depressed, we're going through that same experience. Sitting there and explaining, okay, this is what you do when you're this emotional. This is what you how you get through it. This is how you keep yourself safe really hard to do just like trying to rationalize with a toddler in a tantrum so people are struggling right now and they're not really in their most logical way of being and it's hard to give them coping strategies and have them go oh, okay yeah that makes sense right mm -hmm. so basically i mean we're overwhelmed and i think that's where you know we're seeing things like the suicide rates go up it's hard i think we really need to get creative in terms of how to support one another socially even through technology because of self-isolation and self-quarantine um one more kind of tangent, I'm going to segue a little bit on that, which I think is something um, that's very near and dear to my heart lately when it comes to kind of this depression and talk of suicide rates is toxic positivity. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the term mm -hmm. toxic positivity. I, I know where you're going. I've never heard yeah. of it. Well, yeah. I'm a believer. I feel like I'm going to go on a whole no, spiel this about this, but I love it. I'm hooked. <laughs> I'm a believer in neutrality and being objective. I really, you know, this comes, I've studied a lot of Eastern philosophy. I attribute a lot of Eastern philosophy to my own personal life as well as my practice. And I just, I believe in trying to find middle ground and being objective and being pretty neutral about things. I don't, I am not a clinician that's out there promoting a lot of positive psychology. I'm not running around in a self-love, like, you know, let's all feel extremely great about things because I think that sets us up for some disappointment. And I think toxic positivity has come in. We're trying so hard right now to be hopeful that we're going to get through this pandemic and we're going to get through it okay. We're trying to push. It's all going to be fine. We've got the tools. We've got the resources. Partially true. But I think sometimes when we come in with too much positivity and too much like it's going to be fine we're gonna be fine we're kind of inadvertently invalidating how hard this is and how much this really sucks mm -hmm. quite frankly and 
if we invalidate that, we never look at that, we never get to kind of find a comfort within that, and the disappointment when it really sinks in that, no, this isn't okay. We are suffering right now. This does suck. That disappointment of our expectations that it would get better in a certain way honestly hurts us worse in my opinion I don't know if that makes sense if I'm saying that it does make sense I actually um a similar concept that I have been really interested in lately is the idea of um body neutrality Mm -hmm. uh so like there's body positivity as a like movement and a concept but I've seen a lot more people going towards body neutrality now Mm -hmm. in saying like hey like yes, like you should not be hating your body, but like this is just a body Um, and that's what it is. You don't need to make a judgment towards it. You don't need to say whether it's good or bad, like this is the vessel that holds you. Um, And I actually was reading an article the other day um, about uh, the singer Billie Eilish. She um, often wears like super, super baggy clothes when she's on stage and when she's performing and everything. And um, she talks about how it's because – she if she covers up her body then no one can make a judgment on it and people still make judgments about her body even though they never see it um and there was a a paparazzi shot that came out where she was wearing a more form-fitting tank top and like bike shorts i think Mm -hmm. and everyone went crazy on it talking about this 18 year old girl and how like oh look at like the curves she has like she looks like she's like a 30 year old woman like people making all these different judgments about her body And um, then a lot of people in the sort of body positivity vein were saying things like, well, she's so brave, like to be bearing her body like this, to have not the like typical skinny body. But um, the article I was reading was saying, actually, this isn't brave. This is just her living her life. Like it should not be brave to have a certain body type because it's just a body. Mm -hmm. Like there is not any sort of courage involved in that. She is literally just living Mm -hmm. and it shouldn't have to be considered brave to live in the body that you've been given, you know. Um, And so I think that that comes along in that same sort of concept of like there is not a judgment on this. There is space for you to to be happy and enjoy the good things and be hopeful and there's also space to recognize the weight and the heaviness of things because like you said like if you don't recognize those things then you're kind of living in um an alternate reality you know you're in a fantasy world at that point of saying like a lot of things will be fine it's gonna be fine be fine and when things aren't fine you're crushed Mm -hmm. yeah and that goes back to the depression and i think exactly all of those things and i think it goes back to why we're seeing so much decline right now because not only are mental health resources scarce truly um for what we need but on top of that yeah we almost are more disappointed by our expectations lends to the depression lends to the suicide rates and everything else yeah no i was gonna say see those wheels turning (laughs) i have a a hard question to ask and i think it feels like everyone's wondering but we don't really know how to answer it or what the right thing is to do but Mm -hmm. in some ways it feels like we are sacrificing the mental health of many people and for the sake of keeping virus rates low. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? It is a hard question. It's a hard thing to answer. Um, The uniqueness of my position as a clinician right now is that I, I am a licensed marriage family therapist. My immediate response is to look out for mental health, right. And to help protect people. And honestly, it's a, it's within the, um, the ethics of my profession to keep people safe from things like depression and suicidality. 
However, I work in the medical field as well, right? In the medical field right now, I mean, we are the fighters for keeping this pandemic at bay. We are the fighters for protecting people, um, masking the whole nine yards, social isolation. So I feel sometimes like I'm kind of right in the middle of that question in terms of, you know, what is the right thing to do? Um, I'm very biased in this question, too, because I have kiddos, like I've mentioned before, and I'm looking at them and their social experiences, right? Because they're the next generation coming forth, mm-hmm. and they're not really getting a healthy, well-rounded social experience right now. And I definitely think that's lending to – I'm watching – I don't want to say decline in my own kids' mental health, but they're struggling in ways mm-hmm. they never have before. And I can only – those are my kids. Like, I can only imagine what's happening worldwide yeah. socially kids right Kids who now. don't have the privilege of having a therapist for oh, a no, Don't ask them if it's a privilege. <laughs> I don't know. Give them 10 years. They yeah. might disagree with that. But, but, um, but, yeah, so I think, you know, I'm constantly looking at that question, Kelly, in terms of – you know, um, at what cost, mm-hmm. at what cost, because, you know, I think we need, we're again, the core of what I believe is we're social creatures. And mm-hmm. I think we need each other. I already think we were struggling with that before this pandemic. I think the pandemic and the need to distance really brought to light how much we need each other, but also how little we were prioritizing our social relationships, our family relationships and whatnot before. Yeah. Um, Another joke I like to make as a therapist, you know, my my technical letters, the fancy letters after my name are LMFT, Licensed Marriage Family Therapist. Nowhere in there am I an individual so-and-so Bob or Sally therapist, right? Mm -hmm. I work in the scope of, in the context of families and relationships. We need those, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that we are challenged right now to get as much distance physically, especially as possible, um, I think we... You know, I think it's necessary to help with the pandemic to do our due diligence. But I think, again, we really need to get creative in terms of, okay, then how do we get those relationship needs met? Yeah. Well, especially with the holidays approaching and different guidelines coming out, like, this is a time when, like, families connect and come Mm -hmm. together. I mean, not for everybody, but it it really – and so I know a lot of people are struggling Mm -hmm. with the the idea that, like, I can't see my grandparents this Thanksgiving and I can't, like, hug my aunt Mm -hmm. and, you know, see my nieces and nephews. And that's, like – that's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard. And I want to mention, too, on that note, you know, this is – I think it's just good for everyone to hear and have a reminder outside of, you know, we talk about it a lot in the mental health field, but I think it should be common knowledge – the holidays are notoriously the hardest time of year anyways mm-hmm. for mental health. It's my busy season. Again, horrible joke, but it really is. Mm-hmm. And then we're coming into this in this in completely different life circumstance than we've ever had before. Um, the notori- I mean, you get a lot more suicide. You get a lot more depression. You get a lot more family conflict. Coming mm-hmm. together as a family isn't always a good thing. No, it's not. <laughs> um, so I, my, you know, there's a lot usually happening in the mental health field during this time of year. The days are shorter. There's not as much sunlight. I mean, there's a whole litany of reasons why it's harder this time of year. And now we're doing it in the middle of a pandemic. And I think people need, we need to be having as much conversation like we are even in this podcast about challenging complacency remembering mental health as an issue remembering that this stuff is going to be a challenge um and just talking about it yeah that's a lot of heavy stuff that we're that you're dealing with on a regular basis we're all dealing with right now and so my question is what what are some of the hardest parts of your job and and in the midst of a really challenging job what keeps you going yeah why do you stay well, I love my job. I'll start with that part, but I'll get into that in a second. Um, the hardest part about my job, hands down, is what in the field we call vicarious traumatization. 
Okay, so you guys know what trauma is. Big trauma, little trauma, we all know about trauma. Um, there is a legitimate term, um, vicarious trauma in our field, because we do hear a lot of dark things. Um, we have a lot of dark conversation. Sometimes I even worry as I'm sitting here having these conversations um, that I can come across kind of callous because I've had to have these conversations so many times um, and I talk about a lot of dark things. Um, so I'm very mindful of that. Mm -hmm. But I learned about vicarious trauma very early as a baby therapist in my career um, because I experienced it. You know, I remember having, um, to be honest, my job now, I have amazing clients. I have amazing people that I work with. I have amazing, I've had a very fortunate career over the last probably 10 years and um, compared to what I work what I've worked with in the past I'm feeling pretty good about my job now it mm -hmm. works for me um, I've worked with some heavy hitting situations in the past and I remember being a baby therapist thinking to myself this only happens in the movies mm -hmm. this doesn't happen in real life and I remember telling a supervisor that this doesn't happen in real life she's like yeah this is happening. Like, this is your job now is to help clean this up, like help fix mm -hmm. this. Um, so I learned about it very early on. And I also learned to do a lot of rituals, a lot of, again, self-care, all different kinds of means of self-care. I literally debrief myself every day when I leave work. Um, it takes me a while before I go pick up my kids. I try to, it sounds silly, but I disrobe as soon as I get home. I take off my work clothes. I literally have music that I listen to as soon as I get in the car after I leave my office just little tiny things all day long to really separate work from my personal life. It's hard, but I do it. The other thing is when it comes to my self-care, um, I'm very protective of my positivity. So again, I try to be, I'm a pretty neutral person, but I also know that it doesn't take much negative influence from the world to tip me over, mm -hmm. right? Kind of put me in a funk because I have to hear so much of it at work every day. So I watch a lot of Disney movies, mm -hmm. right? I giggle and laugh as much as I possibly can. Um, opportunities like this to spend time with people that I admire and I, I get re-energized and re-enthused from, I do it because um, I need that. It's my self-care and mm -hmm. I know that I need, there's good in the world. I don't ever want to lose my belief in the good in humans in the world because it gets dark. Mm. Yeah. So, but with that said, I love my job. I truly, I work with humans. Some of them are very flawed. Some of them are very broken. Some of them are very damaged. Um, but I feel incredibly gifted to be able to do my job and have learned early on in my career how to contain it so that I can do my job mm -hmm. and not get burnt out, which is a, which is a thing in my field. Yeah. It mm -hmm. seems like it would be, I mean, just like any sort of field, like where you're just helping people or mm -hmm. emptying yourself essentially for other people to to heal or that's that can be exhausting yeah so as you're I mean self-care is really just kind of a way of like protecting yourself right mm -hmm. like it's a way of of nurturing and creating boundaries but it makes me curious do you go to therapy yourself mm -hmm. um is that part of your self-care routine and is it difficult to care for your own mental health while you're actually caring for others' mental health as well? Mm -hmm. Like, what's that balance look like? Um, yes, I definitely go to therapy um, off and on. I don't consistently do it. I kind of, similar to how I would tell my clients, you know, you, you go when you need it. And the benefit of really getting to know a therapist and building a relationship with them is they know you and they know your story, kind of like the family doctor. So even if you don't need to consistently go to them all the time, you know, you still go. Um, I'm going to put a real quick plug in right there. Therapy isn't just for when we're struggling, mm -hmm. okay? Because sometimes, again, go back to the toddler and the tantrum. When we're in the middle of crisis, we might not get the true benefits of therapy because we're not able to take in all the information 
as we can when life is peaceful and life is calm. So even when my life's great, I still go to therapy. I check in with my therapist and make sure that, you know, I'm taking care of myself and getting new information, new insights. Um, also, I like in graduate school to really expensive personal therapy, right? <laughs> with all due respect to all the grad schools out there that are training us therapists. Um, it was in grad school, you know, I learned what I needed to know to do my job and make the state of California happy. But I also, I learned my stuff. And they really push us in grad school to do our own therapy, to get accustomed to that experience, um, partly because we expect our clients to be vulnerable. Why wouldn't we be? Um, but also because it is an integral part. Having our own safe space, just like we offer our clients, is mm-hmm. vital to what we're human to. Mm-hmm. Um, my life can be a hot mess on a regular basis, just like any of my people. And I have to be taking care of myself, and that includes my self-care, that includes my own therapy, in order for me to be able to contain that mm-hmm. and walk into my office and be there for my clients. Um, I That's really good. I'm curious to hear as well, you kind of described a little bit of an mm-hmm. ebb and flow. Mm-hmm. So what are some things you're just aware of as the ebbs and flows of life come? And as you're aware of like, oh, it's a little bit of a harder time. I know I need a little more support. Or mm-hmm. even though this is a good time, I still want to collect insights. And, mm-hmm. you know, what are how do you gauge that for yourself? I, I don't know that I really... And this will probably be one of my growing edges, I think. Something I'm still working on as a human. Um, I don't know that I'm great at gauging it. It's really, I wing it. I wing a lot in this life. (laughs) I used, I know anxiety all too well. I don't know if you ladies know anxiety, but it's a friend of mine. We live together quite often. Um, And I've learned to let go and be accepting of a lot. And part of that was learning to let go of control. Um, I probably, but finding that balance between control and winging it Mm. is a work in progress for me still. So right now I'm kind of erring on the side of, I just, I check in with myself sporadically. There's really no consistency to it. Mm. What do I need right now? You know, what do I got going on again this year, 2020? I don't know what happens tomorrow. Like, (laughs) so I'm checking in with myself a lot more frequently. I'm utilizing my own therapy a lot more frequently. Um, I'm prioritizing my self-care. I'm practicing what I preach. Um, There's really no rhyme or reason to it. The ebb and flow, I think, is just, it's organic. It's natural. I check in when I need to. Um, But again, just like every other human out there, I could probably use a little bit more of that. Mm -hmm. But we're all surviving right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's... It's cool to hear you talk about how, like, you yourself are going, like, go into therapy and, like, you're aware of the value of that. It actually makes you think of um, a guest we recently had on, Sarah Parker, um, who's a wax specialist, and how, like, her initiation into um, being a waxer was to get herself waxed right. by, with, like, a bunch of other women in the room who are also wax specialists, like, watching you fully naked, bearing all of yourself mm-hmm. to be waxed. And like you're in this vulnerable, physically vulnerable position mm-hmm. and you're doing a similar thing and putting yourself into this like mentally vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. Um, you yourself going into therapy and, and um, sort of, uh, you know, practicing what you preach and also um, getting that perspective of your, uh, your clients, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really awesome. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, there's a question we have to ask <laughs> because this is a woman-focused podcast, <laughs> um, which is I'm really curious to hear about 
uh, any sort of differences that you see between like men and women coming into therapy, um, the types of issues that come up between um, men and women, or uh, even the way that you're treated as a therapist mm-hmm. uh, with your clients who are male or female. Mm-hmm. What is that dynamic? There's definitely big differences. I think culturally, um, I'm really going to speak as I kind of answer this, I'm going to jump in with my bias. I am from this community. I'm from a small town, small communities. And culturally, you know, I think there's a difference between men and women's emotional processing in general, but I really think it's prominent in our culture, especially locally. Um, I call this, for better or worse, good old boys club up here. I grew up up here. I love it. But it can be um, sort of stigmatizing in how men are allowed to process their emotions, how women are even allowed to process or demonstrate their emotions. So with that said, there's a difference, you know. Um, I have... I don't know the exact statistics, but I probably have as many, close to as many male clients in my private practice as I do females. Um, But there is, it can be a little more of a challenge to get them to open up from Mm -hmm. the get-go, right? Um, A lot of them come in as first-timers. I've never done therapy before. They sit down on the couch. I know, cliche therapist (laughs) thing to say. They come to my couch, but like they sit down and it it takes a little while longer to get them comfortable. But with that said, male or female, um, another, you know, again, the letters after my name, I like to make a joke. There's something about my environment, the letters after my name, something about the context of coming into therapy. People pretty quickly, maybe some of it's how I approach it, I don't know, but people pretty quickly come in and just sort of know that they're in that safe space, male or female, to sit down and kind of let their guards down and be vulnerable. Doesn't take long usually before the emotions show up usually looks like tears, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody up here likes tears, right? (laughs) Everybody's, uh, you know, but that's, and I, again, my job is to jump in and make them comfortable. We're here to show emotion. Um, How I get treated as a clinician, um, I think, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of female, amazing female colleagues that I have out there. So I wouldn't say there's a huge, I mean, with, I'll get to that. I got some thoughts on that. I'm going to shelf that for a second. Um, There's some difference, you know, from a male client versus a female client. There are definitely differences in the field. Um, But honestly, I think age, being a younger female therapist, I have older female colleagues who are highly respected. I've experienced probably more ageism than um, than necessarily questioning because of my gender or the fact that I'm female. Mm -hmm. So... But in terms of male versus female clients, um, there can be a difference. Um, I am cognizant. We are very, very heavily trained in grad school to be aware of the power dynamics, um, transference, counter-transference. Those are the fancy words for basically how your client feels about you versus how you feel about your client. We're very, very trained to be aware of those things in grad school because they are always happening. Mm -hmm. Right? So then, like, how do you... I know you mentioned like that you're the fact that people okay focus then so (laughs) people are coming in to receive therapy Mm -hmm. you know like people are already in a spot where they're like aware that they need this probably or where so many other people in their life have been like you need this that they're finally (laughs) doing it or something I imagine um (laughs) so like I would love to hear a little more of like how you um 
ways that you sort of break down some of that like reluctance to be in therapy or some of that sort of like wall that people have up Mm -hmm. um especially with like men feeling like they can't necessarily show those emotions or women feeling like they're going to seem hysterical if they show emotions or Mm -hmm. things like that like um do you do you see uh do you see like women who are um apologetic for their emotions Mm -hmm. um I feel like that's something that I see a lot in women that I know um and myself so like what does that uh what does that breakdown look like Mm -hmm. um the best way I can think to kind of answer that is is to just tell you sort of my like you come into my office this is sort of going to be an experience for you um, regardless, again, this is just kind of across the board, how I, how I operate, I guess, as a therapist. Um, for one thing, the tears, right? And hysterical, he used the word hysterical. Mm-hmm. Tears are a natural human emotion and we need them. They need to come yeah. out. So I shock, I don't know if that's the right word. It seems extreme, but I shock a lot of my clients because I hide my tissues, right? Mm-hmm. So you come into my office and you sit down and again, it doesn't take long unless you're really stoic or you really convinced you don't need to be there, which some people are. And some people it takes a little coaxing, right? Mm-hmm. A little get in their comfort zone. Um, there's going to be some tears. You're going to start talking. You know you're in a safe space. You're going to let down a little bit. Um, they start looking for the tissues every time, right? But I hide my tissues because what are tissues synonymous with in our culture? Cleaning it up, mm-hmm. right? Oh, here. Oh, I see you're upset. Uh, let me hand you let here you know and mm-hmm. now is it always it's, is it ill-intended no but no right we're looking out for each other but we have a natural inclination to either reach for the tissue or hand someone else a tissue to clean it up yeah right oh, we'll fix it like let's yeah. yeah and honestly i think that's part of the problem those need to come out right i don't care how messy it gets or how much snot which again i get they care right so i do keep tissues in my office to be fair because i do understand they're necessary but I don't leave them right there at the forefront mm. because I want people. And it's little things like that. I know it's a silly example, but it's little things like that that I try to make my entire environment. Like, no, you're going to – like, this. it's expected. It's not hysterics. It's not unreasonable. People do apologize, especially women, like you said. Um, but from the get-go, I try to create kind of a, a an environment of normalizing. Like, no, this is an emotional space. That's mm. exactly what this space is for. Mm. Um the reality is, again, when else in your daily life can you just break down, right? We're not really safe to do so. So I want this space to be that. Um, another quick thought just kind of on how I approach that in general is I'm a very humanistic therapist. Like, I'm not, you're not going to come in and see me, you know, sit very formally and with my little clipboard in hand and like start taking. And I have colleagues, bless their hearts, are amazing people, but they do that, mm-hmm. right? They're very formal and they're very professional very old school Freudian like you're not going to know anything about me I'm the professional here that is not how I operate like I'm a human I have emotions I understand emotions I also just so happen to be trained to help you contain your emotions um I believe in the old school helper and healer I believe in the old school medicine man I by no means am a medicine man but basically you know especially with my men sometimes this helps um, I bring them in. I talk to them about, hey, you know, you're basically sitting down in my fancy teepee. Granted, it's a real fancy, right? And I got a real comfy couch, but it's essentially a teepee. You know, you get to come sit down here. And that's what the old school helper and healer was doing ages ago, right? I love like the Native American culture and some of how they deal with and approach mental health. And 
Um, just that idea that you could sit down with someone and it's not that they were a magician they didn't have any magical powers but they had insight gained from talking to so many different people Mm -hmm. and so many different life experiences and that's what they could share Mm -hmm. and that's what us therapists have to offer we don't have magic wands but we have insight and containers and we've helped so many people through different Mm -hmm. situations that we have learned a few things along the way that we can pass on to our clients Mm -hmm. Um, that's what I do and that's how I tell men sometimes, hey, this isn't like therapy, right? Like, because that's got a stigma attached to it. This yeah. is just you and me sitting down in my fancy teepee. You get to choose what you're going to talk mm. about, right? Mm. And again, I'm very informal in how I do things, but that has what that's what I've learned works for me because that's how I get people to feel comfortable and open up. Yeah. I think it's amazing because you are taking something that um, I think a lot of people feel a lot of shame attached to therapy. Mm-hmm. A lot of people feel like um, they're sort of, they must be on the brink of like mental absolute breakdown in order to go to therapy. Um, And you're taking this thing that has unfortunately received a lot of cultural stigmatization, a lot of thoughts like, oh, if you go to therapy, you must be crazy. Like Mm -hmm. you must, I even saw if you guys... (laughs) Um, have recently watched the um, movie Freaky Friday, the version with Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis in it, because there's like three different versions of this movie. In that movie, they have a ton of um, caricatures and stereotypes of people who go to therapy um, because the mother is a therapist. And it was like, oh, this is not good like <laughs> great movie really funny but that part was like oh this was obviously made a while ago when this was considered fine to do um but I think that uh, you being able to sort of break down those walls and say like okay don't even think of this as therapy I'm here I'm um in some ways like a, a friend I'm a um what's the word like a, an, a mm, I'm on your same level mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. um and then also like I love the act of not having tissues available for people um, because I feel like I, such a rebel therapist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about the snot coming down my face and like I'm I like, know. Yeah. yeah, but I think that a physical act like that can can translate into um, the way that you think about it. Like you don't even realize that um, using a tissue is just what you do when you're crying or when um, you have snot running down your face. Like that's just the thing that everybody does. But like questioning like, oh, is this right to do in this moment? Is this me actually trying to clean this up as quickly as possible so that I'm not actually facing and embracing the emotions that I'm feeling right now, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that physical act can have such a powerful impact on, on the way you're thinking about it. So I love that. Even jumping off of like the part you were saying about tissues, I'm like having a flashback of like when I was in ministry school, um, way back when in another life, I attended three years of ministry school and we had like little groups um, that we were broken up into that was like your family for the year and you did life together. And I remember, and then you have a pastor over that group. And I remember this one experience one day, we called it like something really dumb and Christian easy. And it was like freedom day. And you'd get up and you'd talk about what you're leaving behind essentially and then you'd run through this like tarp that velcroed in the middle and you'd break through it and Mm -hmm. it was very cheesy but you know also it did bring me it served some freedom for me Mm -hmm. um but I remember like I never cried I'm not a cryy person I cry a couple times a year maybe Mm -hmm. um 
and I had never cried like that in front of a group of people that I didn't know well and I remember how much freedom and safety that actually did bring of like oh no one's actually trying to fix me right now and I actually don't need to be fixed Mm. and that that was what ushered that in and I maybe at some level we continuously offer people tissues because actually we're uncomfortable with their emotions and their vulnerability (laughs) and I'm like what would it look like if we were all just comfortable with our very human very normal Mm -hmm. everyday emotions Mm. and showcasing them yeah well it's kind of like the difference between like having a bad day and like going home to your mom and like crying onto her shirt and like snot and and, but like you there's no shame mm-hmm. or concern or like oh my mom's gonna judge me or like yeah. this is uncomfortable mm-hmm. it's just like a full cathartic ca- yeah it's like crying with abandon mm-hmm. versus like when you get out in the real world and you're it's not your mom and mm-hmm. so you're, you're when you cry there's sort of like a self-consciousness and mm-hmm. shame that comes along with that but, you know, all of us need a good mom cry every oh, once yeah. in a while. Oh, yeah. Well, and it's the safety, right? Mm-hmm. That is what therapy ther- – I, honestly, I'm reluctant even as those words come out of my mouth because I'm, it is therapy, right? Uh, yes, I'm a licensed marriage family therapist, but it's an experience. I, it's, I wish I could find a better – it's not life coaching. It's not – you know, but it is, it is therapy. I just wish there wasn't so much stigma attached to it. But that safety that you feel, like when you describe that, Kelly, about going back to mom and having that moment, that is what therapy offers is the safety, right? I'm not mom. I don't want anybody snot on my t-shirt. But like <laughs> that experience yeah. of like coming in and feeling safe enough to let your guard down, again, men versus women, it kind of wraps all these questions, you know, that is what therapy offers. Mm-hmm. That is the value of it is being able to, um, to just have that contained. Mm. you know and have a safe space where you can go and feel like okay this is why I think it's so valuable to have long-term relationships mm-hmm. Kelly you were talking about you know three years working with your therapist like mm-hmm. having those long valuable relationships is huge in this field mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you had mentioned um that there's a lot of sexual relationship training that mm-hmm. you have to go through yeah. as a therapist mm-hmm. before you get licensed and it seems like with all these things you're talking about with, you know, letting your guard down and being in such an intimate space with somebody mm-hmm. and all of those things, it seems like those kind of emotions can come up. Why, why does that train, is that training important and how does it help like mitigate sort of all those dynamics? Um, good questions. Um, this is a big deal in my field. Um, it, again, I'm going to like blend a few different questions you guys fast together with that. It goes to the male versus female. It goes to some of that as well. Um, the idea, so we literally, I'm just going to say this because it's a thing. When we're in graduate school, we are, we do, we are trained very, very heavily on this. Um, I mentioned transference and countertransference, right? Transference is when your client is putting stuff on you like they're projecting things onto you sometimes that can be like a romantic feel sometimes that can be you remind me so much of my mom right mm-hmm. which might be a good thing might not be a good thing in mm-hmm. therapy Countertransference is how we as the clinician feel about our client same mm-hmm. thing right we can have like i can have a natural affinity or like oh my gosh i would love to be friends with this person in my mm-hmm. personal life right but mm-hmm. i have to have those professional boundaries um, or I can be like, dude, you remind me of my brother. <laughs> like, no, right? So, the, the, and that's, we're human too. So we have that counter-transference and transference happening all the time in therapy. 
with every single person we encounter. Um, a lot of times, especially because of the vulnerability, just like you were saying, the um, the emotional processing that's happening. I mean, we have very few people in our lives. We genuinely let our guards down like that too, mm-hmm. right? Usually it is things like our very close family members, our moms, um, our partners, right? So it, especially if there's, you know, um, there can always be an attraction happening or romantic thing. And to be honest, it can happen on both sides. Again, even us clinicians are human. We are the professionals in the room though. Right. Mm-hmm. So we are the ones that are trained very heavily again in grad school to be mindful of those boundaries and those countertransferences and what's going on. We literally have a pamphlet on hand 24 seven all the time says it is titled. It's like a blue pamphlet and it says in bold letters, professional therapy does not include sex. <laughs> Ask any therapist in the state of California. They know what I'm talking about because wow. we have it on hand. Mm-hmm. It is a state of California thing. So because it is such a pertinent issue. How many times have you guys, Freaky Friday, I don't think it was, I can't recall, but I obviously I don't think this was in that movie. But mm-hmm. how many times in pop culture, watching movies, watching TV, do you see a relationship start to transpire mm-hmm. between a therapist, a psychologist, and their client? Mm-hmm. Right? It is stigmatized all the time. I wish I could say that, that it's just a joke, mm-hmm. right? But it's not just a joke, it's real. Yeah. Um, so that's why we are, it is such... A thing and I hope that kind of explains where I think it comes from I do understand where it comes from the vulnerability and the emotions in the room but it's because there's an inherent power dynamic and basically I know everything about you you know absolutely nothing about me mm-hmm. and yet there's now these weird potential romantic feels going it's completely inappropriate because mm-hmm. it's just not fair not fair to the client not mm-hmm. fair to the clinician which is why it is so important that we hold those boundaries really firmly in place and that we have a little pamphlet ready to go. So if it gets weird and anything comes up in conversation, we can be like, and this is why. We don't even have to explain it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't have to sit and have an awkward conversation. I mean, we should appropriately because we're supposed to be good at communication. Mm-hmm. But like we can say like, hey, like I understand this is happening and it's it's real for both of us, but this is the reminder of what the context of our relationship is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I imagine like, you know, someone's coming in to receive therapy and they feel like um, they've bore so much of themselves mm-hmm. to this person and they've had no repercussions for that. You know, like mm-hmm. they've had this person totally like absorb everything that they've said. Mm-hmm. So you, you feel like you have this like relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see that, especially with like, like I see on, on the male side of like um, a man feeling like, okay, this is the only place where I feel safe enough to show my emotions. And so this brings me so much attachment to this person. Mm -hmm. And then on the female side, seeing like, okay, I'm, I'm coming to this person and I'm not being judged or called crazy or called, um, overdramatic or all of these different things that women are oftentimes called for being emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I feel this connection with this person and I want Mm -hmm. this intimacy with them, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's super interesting. But to kind of pivot a little bit, mm-hmm. Kellyanne mentioned that she goes to therapy. She mm-hmm. loves it, um, has gained a lot from it, um, is like the biggest advocate for therapy that I know. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but Kelly and I have never gone to therapy. <gasps> we've, <laughs> yeah, we've never done it. Um, I've like briefly considered it, but really just in passing, um, never seriously thought about going to therapy. Um, and so I guess I want to ask you, like, kind of what's what's the point? <laughs> oh, what's the point in going to therapy? And, like, do you think everyone should go? Um, 
even if you don't feel like you need to you know I know you touched on some Mm -hmm. you go into therapy during times where you feel good and times where you're not feeling great um Mm -hmm. so I think I have a hunch towards where you're leaning with that but Mm -hmm. I want to hear about it that is a doozy it's a good Mm -hmm. question um a few things come to mind I'm going to try and organize my thoughts because it's a big one and I got a few different places like I had the logical well this is where therapy would benefit you right but then I also have what I'm going to pick on you girls a little bit for you guys are advocates. You're doing this podcast because you're challenging stigma and because you're challenging, um, you're advocating for women, you're advocating for humans in general, Mm -hmm. right? You're wanting to educate people out there. You're wanting to hear new voices. You're wanting to gain insight, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, am I I hitting some, hitting some nails on the head there? That's true. So, (laughs) so why, so again, if we wait for people to need therapy, Mm -hmm. right? If we wait for people to, to feel like, okay, I'm broken, something's wrong, I'm not communicating with my partner. If we wait for all those typical things to happen, or like or you said earlier, everyone in the family is like, you should go to therapy, right? If we wait for that to always be the case, we're only furthering the stigma of therapy, mm. right? Yeah. For two healthy, successful, normal, you know, for each of you and your own individual spirits and your strengths and your attributes and what you have to voluntarily go, you know, how cool is it? Like, I love sitting in this group and talking with my friends. I love sitting having existential meaning of life big conversations philosophical conversations Mm -hmm. for you to enjoy that and rob yourselves of the opportunity to do it with again that old school helper and healer that has those conversations not just within the circles of their friendships but with people from every different walk of life and every different demographic Mm -hmm. that in and of itself you guys showing up to therapy challenges the stigma Right. And knowing that you guys are big proponents of that and advocates for kind of pushing back on some of those envelopes, I highly encourage you to think about it. Why not have the experience? That is true. Like, why not? Yeah. On the other hand, though, I do feel like, um, and I'm not saying I've never considered therapy because I have. Mm-hmm. And I've, it's just kind of been like, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. it's probably mostly laziness that has kept me from like making any decisions either way. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also people who, you know, are, live relatively healthy lives mm-hmm. and have good friendships who yeah. they can, like, process things with through and good marriages or people, like, safe places where they can go. Mm-hmm. So, like, what – does therapy offer something that, like, a healthy in ecosystem the, of life doesn't? And that's a hard one. So here's the reality. Um, so that's where, again, I'm going to come in with my challenge, right, of, like, Go. Because yeah. that's what we need to challenge. We need this to be a normalized counseling. Again, it's a TP, you guys. Therapy's a heavy word, right? I'm gonna have to like come up with some catchy like <laughs> thing for therapy. But it's 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 a check-in process. It's a challenging complacency. But what is my ultimate goal when I'm meeting with someone for the first time? Before I even know much of their story and what they've got going on, I'm already looking at the context of their life situation. I'm already looking at where do we need to build strengths for you to have positive, healthy social support, a positive, healthy life. Because again, kind of like the family doctor, I mentioned that earlier, I don't foresee us being able to. The reality is I can't see clients every day, every week Mm -hmm. for the foreseeable future, Mm -hmm. right? Eventually my life situation changes. It has over the last couple of years just being in this area. I've taken different positions in different jobs. I've had clients that moved away or I moved away from them. Um, so it's not, you know, the idea is to build that healthy system if it's not already in place. Mm. Can it offer something? Always. Mm. You know, I truly believe that. Good conversation, even in a professional capacity with someone that can help support your goals and your visions, that's mm. not going to detriment you mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with that said, 
kind of a, a tangent, but on that same note, I'm very dialectical. I should have warned you all in the beginning. <laughs> I will find myself on one end of the spectrum and then very quickly I'll, I'll seemingly kind of contradict myself, but it's because I do believe in both. I believe on this side of the street, but I also believe that there's some truth to this side of the street as well, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, you know, on both sides of that spectrum. Yeah. Um, I love my job. I do. You mentioned you were talking about the dark parts of my job earlier, Kelly. There can be very dark days. And back when I was working in the field, I was much more involved in the field of addiction, working in rehabs. I was working with a lot of people um, with heavy duty trauma, coming out of incarceration, combat veterans. Like I've worked with some heavy populations. And there have been many points over my career where I have wished there was no need for my job. Mm. Like I really wish I didn't have to have a job. I really wish I didn't have to do this. Um, be an interventionist, show up to the emergency room in the middle of the night for someone that's overdosed, or um, I wish that all the time. Um, Because I know that that's not going to happen anytime soon, we're a little bit of a complicated creature living in a complicated world, that it is what it is. But in theory, I wish um, during maybe like early adolescence, we put more emphasis on how to emotionally process, how to use those social supports. I wish more we could promote a better, all the things you just mentioned, a well-rounded, healthy social life and system around us to where there's not as much need for my job, right? So at the same time that I feel like my job will benefit anybody at any given time, because why not? Why not have awesome conversation with people you trust? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. It'd be really cool to live in a world where yeah. there was a lot more healthy emotional processing and there wasn't as much need for people to come into therapy in crisis. Totally. Yeah. I think for me, I always struggle with um, I'm a three on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And so for anyone that knows what it means, I'm always like inputting the shoulds in mm-hmm. life and like trying to sort through them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like all the things you need to be to, to do to be a well-rounded person is like, you got to, you know, tidy up and keep your house clean in mm-hmm. Mario Kondo. You got to, you know, exercise. You have to eat well. You have to get a massage every once in a while, you gotta, mm-hmm. you know, like go to the chiropractor and get your essential oils on and go to therapy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. get eight hours of sleep every night and have social life, but also have alone time and read a lot and also <laughs> take some time to watch, you know, a good show every once in a while, but don't watch too much TV. So like, I think there's, everyone has, you know, can feel like, mm-hmm. okay, I have to schedule one you know, I have to have a date night with my husband once a week in order to keep my marriage healthy. And mm-hmm. I have to, you know, there's all these, like, things mm-hmm. that I feel pressure mm-hmm. to do all the time that I'm, like, kind of sorting through. Right. And so um, when I look at therapy as one of those things, it's hard for me not to be like, okay, it's just one of the thousand things that I ought to do mm-hmm. in order to be, like, a successful human being. And I can't mm-hmm. do all the things, right. you know? Right. But... um but I also feel like, I mean, like, I've had traumatic experiences in my life, and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know, have I processed them? Like, have, mm-hmm. have I really, like, given myself the time to, like, go into it and figure out what that really was and what really happened mm-hmm. and, like, how that's affected me? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I feel like, um, I, I think that the idea of um, having that time that is just for you to spend talking about yourself, essentially, Um, I can see how that could be really valuable because like I think about um, my friends that I have um, and we have deep conversations and we we talk about those existential things, but 
it's not a time that is like me focused, um, which sounds like a little weird and like selfish for me to say. But like, you know, obviously it's not because you're in dialogue with this person. Mm -hmm. But in in therapy, I imagine you have that space to um, be much more um, in introspective Mm -hmm. um, and to not just talk about these these big issues, but to to really think and process about how they affect you. Um, and I even think about things that, um, like, I feel like I'm a well-functioning human, like, 99% of the time. Um, but there's certain things where, um, I have, like, triggers and things where I'm like, oh, maybe I need to actually process these things with somebody, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think about, uh, you mentioning, like, if, if it was normalized for you to start going to therapy at a young age, mm-hmm. um, if I had the tools of, like, emotional intelligence as a middle schooler, my entire, like, teenage, <laughs> <laughs> teenage years would have been so different. Mm-hmm. Understanding how to actually process emotions instead of, like, emotions kind of just, like, happening to you and bombarding you like an avalanche like mm-hmm. that's sort of what teenage dumb felt like to me <laughs> um being able to recognize like taking a step back and looking at things with perspective because um, especially when you're young like that it feels like everything is the end of the world I can see how that would be so so helpful to um young people mm-hmm. to have a check-in with a therapist just like they have a check-in with their pediatrician you know mm-hmm. um and another thing that I was thinking about as you're talking about this um, is uh, one thing I keep going back to is you talk about like how um, how beneficial it can be to to have therapy. Um, there's so many people that don't have access to therapy, mm-hmm. um, whether financially they can't afford to do it um, or they don't live somewhere where there's many therapists. They live in a very rural area. Um, and so... I'm, but there's also solutions to that, like um, uh, e-therapy, mm-hmm. I guess would be the way to call it, um, mm-hmm. and apps where you can connect with a therapist. What do you think about those types of resources? Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's probably been a spike in those since COVID and, and quarantine and everything. Yeah. But. Well, this is, and this is a, um, well, for one thing, before I move on to that question, can I just give you both credit for basically selling me on why <laughs> you both as newbies, right, Kellyanne? Would you agree to that? Because I'm pretty sure they both gave me a really good rundown of why therapy would benefit. I, I think so. So I just saying, you guys, you guys sold me. So thank you. Um, <laughs> May have happened. <laughs> the tables turn. It reminded me. Oh yeah, just keep going because of all these reasons. Like <laughs> yeah. you need this. Right? It sounded amazing. It so is. thank you for your guys' mm-hmm. insights. But um, well, okay. So here is a vulnerable moment for me, I suppose. I, since graduate school, have been. I wouldn't say like against doing online therapy and e-therapies and things like that I just it wasn't for me like I am a humanistic I gotta sit in front of my people I gotta read them they gotta read me again how am I gonna get how am I gonna do my job and get their comfort level um if they can't see me and see my body language and feel I'm such a feeler like I'm intuitive I'm an empath I feel that's how I do my job how are how am I gonna feel what they need um so I've been reluctant I have drug my feet in this modern world and I'm a modern person I'm all about technology but as a therapist I couldn't do it now I have no choice, right? <laughs> so again, thank you 2020 and the pandemic um, and COVID. I have no choice. All of my therapies are done. Um, not entirely true. I have a day job where I'm in a clinic, a medical clinic, but my private practice is all done via Zoom now or via online um, resources. 
I've had to get with the time. So with that said, I'm coming around to it. Um, and I do think in terms of access, like you were saying, I think that's the most valuable piece is honestly, to my knowledge, most clinicians are doing things online these days. Um, I see that being the future. I see mm-hmm. it. I'm, I'm reluctant to say that because I still miss my TP and my people. <laughs> but um, I see it being the future. And I think anything is better than nothing. How, again, I've heard stories. There's, you know, you're not going to find if you randomly go on the Internet and look for a therapist, you're not always going to find like the therapist for you. Mm-hmm. So in e-therapy, you're not the same thing. You're not going to find like the best communicating therapist or someone that meets your needs online. Mm-hmm. But they're out there, and I think it's a little bit of a dating process, like a courting process. Like, you get to know them, you feel it out. But in terms of accessibility and the fact that people are going to get something, they're going to have an opportunity in a safe space somewhere, I think that's valuable. Why not take advantage of those resources? So, And I'll share a couple that I'm familiar with at the end. Great. I was curious, Kelly, just, sorry, circling back a little bit, mm-hmm. if, you, if you had any thoughts regarding people, should they go to therapy? Shouldn't they go to therapy? Mm-hmm. Having just experienced it, mm-hmm. how has it benefited mm-hmm. you? And like what? I mean, well, my mental health journey has been a juicy one. <laughs> it's been great. Um, but I personally realized I needed therapy uh, when my life kind of started falling apart. And I was like, okay, I'm barely sleeping. I clearly have an anxiety disorder of some kind. Like, barely like we're talking barely functioning like I'd walk into work and people would be like are you okay like and I'd be like yeah what's what's going on like why would you think I'm not great um so for me I can say therapy has changed my life I know a lot of people that I'm like oh I think you would benefit from therapy um especially you know Ashley put it really well like this person is an expert, not just in their field, but also from all of their well-rounded, beautiful conversations. They're bringing wisdom to the table. Um, I think you kind of know, like if you are someone who is in tune with yourself, you're aware of what's going on inside, um, the, you know, being able to take temperature of like how you're reacting to things, if you are managing well, like you kind of know. And I knew for a long time, I mean, even as a teenager, I actually, oh, this will break some people's hearts, but I actually went home one summer for school. Gosh, I think I was 19. And I actually was talking to my parents in the kitchen. And I was like, I actually think something's wrong. And I actually think I really need some help. I think I need to see someone professionally. And my parents, here's the thing, they absolutely do do and did the best they knew how. Mm-hmm. And actually now they both are in therapy. Which is like full circle, right? And they, but their response in the moment was like, "No, you don't. You don't want to do that. Um, mm. That can go really wrong, actually, mm. because I actually have a family history on one of my parents' side of some serious mental illnesses, and so we have seen what can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's been really redemptive. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I have someone in my corner who's neutral and there to help me and give me the tools that I need." So that is my take on therapy. I do think everyone can benefit. I don't think it's necessary for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I personally will probably continue to go to therapy for the rest of my life because of what it's done for me. Mm-hmm. So those are my thoughts. Um, I, and I now do not have crippling anxiety and I can live uh, 
a pretty normal life, mm-hmm. um, which I'm so grateful for. And my, my husband, my friends, my family, they've all been a huge support to me as well. Not just my therapist, but my therapist has been a critical role in that. Um, so that's why I've been so excited for this episode yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to talk to a therapist and get to take a little bit of a seat back mm-hmm. while you two get to kind of ask more heavy hitting questions. Um, but as we kind of wrap up and come to a close, Ashley, I would really love to hear from you. What does woman being mean to you? What is your interpretation of that phrase? I I've thought about this um, with you guys asking me to join. Um, and I'm hoping I can kind of articulate the way it is in my heart. Because um, it's, it's a very bold statement, I feel like. Um, and I think what you guys are doing on here is bold. Woman being to me is about becoming. Um, it's a journey. It's a process. And I think when I say becoming, what I'm really looking at is sort of an acceptance of our strengths as women, as well as our growing edges. This speaks to that neutrality that we spoke about earlier. We need each other. We all have things that we bring to the table. The scholar needs the career woman for hope. The, um, the mother needs the child as much as the child of the daughter needs the mother. We have strengths, but we also have growing edges that we, you know, I'm not going to call them our limitations, but I think we all have things that we need to support each other in. And I think the key is learning to be accepting of where we're at, which is that becoming process so that we can come together. I can have my strengths, but I can look to the women around me as being empowered within themselves to bring their strengths to help offset me, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. To me, it's a becoming process. It's an accepting process. I don't think it's something that we, I was toying with this word being, woman being. That's why I use the word. That's why I followed it with becoming, because I think we're getting there. I think we're mm-hmm. all on this journey. I look at, again, the benefit of my job is I talk to people. I talk to women. I have an amazing client that I'm working with right now who is in the stages, the early stages of retirement. And this is a career woman. Like I hold her on such an esteem. Like, and I tell her this, you know, I've worked with her for years and I'm like, what you have done for your community, what you have done as a professional, like, oh, right. She's an amazing woman. I aspire on a career level um, to be as impactful as her, but she is still becoming, Mm. right. She embodies so much of her strength and yet she's looking at her growing edges, even as she comes into retirement, like, what do I need as a woman right now? Who do I need to surround myself with? We are powerful people. We are powerful humans. Um, but we need each other. And I see too much of women letting our insecurities of those limitations and our growing edges get the better of us. And I want to see women being be more accepting of who we are wholly, which includes those growing edges and our strengths. That makes sense. That's so much. That actually reminds me of I heard someone speak one time who is a counselor, a Christian counselor, and she would talk about how um, I don't have to get competitive Mm -hmm. with other women. I don't have to get jealous because she is holding up a mirror to me of my potential as well. Absolutely. And uh, that always stuck with me. And Mm -hmm. I just, I love that concept of like, we actually get to be together Mm -hmm. um, and growing together pulling mm-hmm. out the potential in each other mm-hmm. but also accepting the spaces that someone else needs to fill absolutely um i love that also the career woman you mentioned i'm like can we have her on the podcast <laughs> 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 that's incredible mm-hmm. and honestly like i i hope for myself that i continue to grow the way you just described yeah. this amazing career woman that is still 
pushing Mm -hmm. for her own growth. And I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, Speaking of growth, do you have any recommended resources for us, for the woman being audience? Like, what do you... What do you recommend? I, um, off the cuff, just, you know, as a therapist, I wouldn't be doing my due diligence, especially since we talked about some dark things such as suicide, without referencing the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a reminder of the number. I had to write it down just to be safe. 1-800-273-8255. It's a heavy year, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to stick a little plug in there for that. That's a big one. We talked about the online resources. Um, The two that I'm really familiar with that I think are very valuable um, betterhelp.com, I believe it is, and Talkspace. I've heard good things. I have colleagues. I have not used them myself, but I have colleagues and I have clients that have used both of those. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of resources out there, though, so I highly recommend you know using those resources locally. You know, if you're looking to get established with a therapist, unfortunately, I myself am not taking new clients right now, Aww. so it's a it's hard for me to even say that because <laughs> I love my job so much and I wish I could just like open my doors, but. But it's, again, it's been a challenging year, so that's my boundary that I'm putting in place. Um, But if you're looking for local therapists, there's a lot. We are very fortunate in this area. We have two universities putting out uh, master's level clinicians and who are working on getting licensed. Don't be afraid to try an intern. Again, this is a humanistic experience. Um, They may still be early in their baby therapy journey, right? But interns are just as valuable. But Psychology Today is a great online resource. Again, it's like dating. I wish I had better guidance, like, but I haven't even figured out the dating world. So um, <laughs> it's like dating to find a new therapist. You know, Try a few on for size. Don't be afraid to go see someone for mm-hmm. you know, one time. Feel it out. Okay, this is not my person. Mm-hmm. Try the next. You know, Insurance will usually cover things like that. Um, you could talk about rates You know, if insurance is, is not always an option. There's different options out there. So use those online resources. But again, pretty much everyone's doing everything online these days. So don't be afraid to use things like the BetterHelp and the Talkspace. And I have to plug my favorite book. So it is my thing. If you know me on a personal level, like it is my go-to. And this is a heavy one, you guys. So I'm not saying it's recommended mm-hmm. reading, but I still have to throw it out there because anyone that knows me and hears this podcast will be like... You better mention your thing because everyone, I mean, I talk about it on a daily basis, but I'm a huge Eckhart Tolle fan, The Power Mm -hmm. of Now, Heavy Read, but it has helped me tremendously with my own anxieties. Mm -hmm. Um, It's got a lot of spiritual connotation in it, but it's very kind of open-minded. It's one that takes a while to digest, bite-sized pieces, right? (laughs) But it has transformed my life. Um, Mm -hmm. My ability to come here and be here with you guys today Again, my anxiety would have had me like, I would have had like five different lists, like, okay, bullet points, what are we covering, ladies? Like, what do I need to talk about, right? But I, instead, it was really important for me to come here and be here with you now and just do this. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, you guys kind of gave me a little preparation, but I've never done something like this before. But it was important for me to just be myself, Mm -hmm. show up with my Starbucks in hand, be here in the present moment. Of course, I'm going to have anxiety from time to time. I got personal stuff out. It's been a week right? It's been a week for all of us. But I wasn't going to let that week get in the the way of the present moment. And that is a huge influence because of, you know, really setting up with my my old buddy at Cartoli and the power of now. So um, I guess I will say it's a recommended reading, but when it feels right. Yes. I just love, I don't have an extensive list of resources and recommended readings, even on my website, even to my clients. I am all about exposure. Expose yourself to new things. Mm -hmm. Do new things. Read new books. I listen to modern day. I listen to Audible all the time. 
Um, I drive a lot and I'm always listening in my car. I'm listening to pop culture self-help books, right? Mm -hmm. Girl, wash your face. Um, Mm -hmm. All those good, you know, the ones that are coming up, the silly ones. Um, Oh, gosh, now it's skipping my brain. What is the... um, there's one with a curse word in it. I can't think of it now. Oh, um, no. The uh, Subtle Art. There's a couple ones. Oh, that one I've read, but so The Subtle Art of Not Giving. Oh, oh yeah. Can I say a curse word? Oh, oh we can say it. <laughs> subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yes. In case you missed She's it. got it. Another one of my personal favorites, right? Again, not going to say it's recommended reading or listening, and they're different, but mm-hmm. they're, yeah. you pick something up from each of them. Yeah. And so I'm always an advocate. Go to the self-help aisle mm-hmm. right check out the pop culture I, I call them pop culture because they're not really gonna be like you know super clinic clinical mm-hmm. right but they're going you're gonna get something from yeah. them some of them you're gonna be like i will never read this again and i will never recommend it but i guarantee even those ones yeah. you'll something will resonate in the back of your mind i'm just mm-hmm. all about exposure i loved um i just recently finished Lori gottlieb's maybe you should talk to yes, someone yes i just finished it too oh, it was, <laughs> i love that and it got me so intrigued about therapy as mm-hmm. a whole because mm-hmm. it's basically the story of a therapist mm-hmm feeling like she had kind of a traumatic experience in her life and she's like, I need to go through therapy. And she talks about, like, she's been through therapy. Mm -hmm. It's not, like, a weird thing, but she sort of walks you through what therapy kind of looks like. And so it kind of demystified the experience for me, first of all, and also was just super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, as a clinician, I'm so excited to hear that you've read that. Have you read it? Listened to it? Yes. Okay. I listened to it. (laughs) Um, But I love that you have that exposure, Kelly, because it – I loved it as a clinician because I think she spoke to both populations, clients and clinic, potential clients, the mm-hmm. humans out there about that therapeutic experience. But then also as a clinician, it was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I've been there. Like, I totally know about that kind of client. I've had that client, too, you know, because yeah. and it showed her humanity, yeah. which is what I'm all about within my own practice. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. Honestly, Ashley, it's been such a pleasure and a privilege to have you on. Thank you so much for being here, being able to speak to the mental health space, which is, we all know, so, so important, and spending some time with us, letting us get to know you, getting to know a little bit about us. It's just been a treat. So Thank you. And uh, women beings, don't forget, you can always connect with us on Instagram, um, which is Woman Being Podcast, or visit our website at womanbeingcommunity.com. So thanks so much for being here and we will catch you next time. Catch you later. Bye. 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 <laughs>